I'm excited to um, be beginning a, uh, a new series uh, that we're going to be uh, talking about together. And um, uh, I think this is going to affect each of us um, in really practical ways, because I think that it's such an important part of who we are, uh, particularly as uh, um, not just as the people of God, but just as normal people. We're about to step into a series that's very relevant, very practical, and making us very aware uh, hopefully, of what it is that God is doing and how we can more closely align with him. So, uh, how many of you in here have a job of some kind or another? How many of you in here are a student? Right, a student? Yeah, so that's your job now, all right? Anybody got that? The students, you, that, you, you're, you're, that's your job. So, everything we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about in regard to work. Um, but so, if you're a student, that's your work. Uh, I'm sure you get paid well uh, for for your work. Uh, We're going to talk about what it means for us to align with God um, and to think about him, about work and rest, and and how we can be people who uh, live the way that he desires us to live in regard to our work. So to start that, uh, a partner of ours in ministry is going to introduce some concepts and thoughts to us. If you listen to the radio... You ha- I know you've heard this. Everybody's working for the weekend. What you hear is this kind of litany of toil and leisure, of the work week just being uh, a lot of hard work. Uh, you might be neutral about your work, you might hate your work, but you don't love your work. And what you love is your time off, uh, your me time. I actually think both of these messages, both about our, our work and about our rest, are, are actually wrong. Uh, we're not made for toil and leisure. We're made for work and rest. And instead of toil, which is bad work, unfulfilling work, unsatisfying work, we're made for good work. We're made to work in such a way that we say, at the end of a day, at the end of a week, at the end of our lives, uh, this, this was good, even very good, the way that God said, this is good as he worked. Uh, and we're made for rest, which is not just leisure. We're made for something deeper than just kind of vacation or entertainment. modern era, uh, where I think actually work has gotten worse, and it's gotten worse for a really surprising reason, which is that we tried to make it easier. Uh, What it means to be modern is to live after the Industrial Revolution, and what happened in the Industrial Revolution was we created machines that were designed to make our work much easier and much more efficient. So a machine can work in ways that no human being can. The human body has all kinds of limits, and machines uh, take the work we used to do and do it faster, uh, in many ways better, they're stronger. Uh, And so we invented these machines and we thought, this is awesome, work is not going to be hard anymore. And in fact, at one point, uh, in the midpoint of the Industrial Revolution, what people were worried about was, we're no longer going to have anything to do. It's going to be all leisure all the time. Totally did not happen. And the reason is that we created these machines that do work for us, but then in order to do the work, they actually required human beings to start working like machines. 
Now, the interesting thing is, after the Industrial Revolution, we actually create a new kind of machine, a, a thinking machine, computers. And so now knowledge workers use machines that think with us and for us. And now we have to become like computers. A computer is always on, doesn't need to be turned off. So now you have to always be on as a human being, as, as a knowledge worker. You can never take a break. A computer is always connected. It never disconnects uh, if it's working right. And now you always have to be connected. And this, uh, I, the great irony of this is that we created these machines we thought would make our lives easier. And they've actually made us work like machines and they've made our lives in many ways harder. And they've actually made us far less healthy. I mean, when in, in history have there ever been less healthy human bodies than we have in the age of factory work and knowledge work. Our bodies are not made to do this. And I actually think the deeper reality is we end up with um, repetitive stress injury of the soul. Our souls are not made for this uh, kind of endless toil that's only interrupted by the weekend where we just kind of collapse and consume and try to recover and get ready for Manic Monday. What our bodies are made for is work and rest, a rhythm of activity and pause of effort and relaxation. And they're actually made to do this every hour. They're made to do this every day. They're made to do this every week. And so rather than toil and leisure, what we're actually made for, the good news, what, what uh, Jesus would say to us is, I've made you to work like I work and rest like I rest. Uh, so rather than toiling like machines and then collapsing, into sort of individualistic entertainment at the end of the week to kind of recharge for another week of toil. What we're made to do is work every day with a rhythm of work and rest, and then at the end of the week, uh, it's not, thank God it's Friday, it's six days you'll work, and the seventh you'll have a Sabbath. Sabbath is so much more than just leisure. Sabbath is communal, not just individual. It's shared with other people. It's worship, not just consumption. It's not just watch something on TV. It's actually offer yourself in a different way to God and to your neighbor. And it's about restoration, I think, in the deepest sense. Rest, in a way, is short for restoration. So Sabbath is God's gift to us every seven days to put aside whatever we do during the week to make money and to tend the world and just to restore our bodies restore our relationships, and even to restore in a way the way we relate to our, our planet uh, and, and the earth that we're given to tend. What could you add uh, to your work that would add a, an element of rhythm? Most of us don't have total control over how we work, but what would God have us add to our days that would add some human rhythm in? What could we take away that we're actually doing too much of, doing too much repetition? And then on a weekly basis, how could we be enjoying Sabbath? adding something to our Sabbath, taking something away, so that we don't say, I'm working for the weekend. We don't say, uh, thank God it's Friday. We say, I am working and resting in the Sabbath rest that's meant for the people of God. In, in many ways, uh, the original taskmaster is Pharaoh, who says, uh, work, 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 toil, uh, no leisure, minimal leisure. And uh, Jesus is the one who breaks the bondage uh, that we've actually created in our work to our machines and to these things that make us work in ways we were never meant to work. And Jesus invites us both to better work and to better rest. Uh, so Andy is special counsel in Netzer and actually Justin made that video and did a great job on it. Um, that was part of a, 
a Lenten devotional series that we uh, uh, had a couple years ago um, that we gave out to our network. And, um, you know, we can just like pray and go home now uh, <laughs> because of all the depths that it was that Andy just shared. So the course of this, uh, A, if you want to see that video again to review it, it's on Netzer's website, Netzer.org. Uh, B, this series is going to be pulling apart uh, pieces of what it was that Andy just shared and just take a, a deep dive into this this concept and, and this idea. And uh, I'll be doing it from one perspective, uh, Justin from another, Jeff will be part of this series from another. And um, we're going to bring about a, a picture of the, the work-rest dynamic. So work, work and rest. Um, the idea here is to be always moving at God's pace. Right? Always moving. Now, I would say that moving at God's pace is the best definition for rest. Uh, I'd say building at God's pace is the best definition for work. All right, so either way, we're moving at God's pace, uh, moving at God's pace. But work is important. Right? Work is important. I would suggest that other than sleeping, work is probably the thing that you do the most. And maybe, for some of you, <laughs> you work more than you sleep. I should probably make a disclaimer at this point, having said that, that this is very much a pot calling the kettle black teaching situation that I've devised for myself. Um, like I'm doing that thing that, that preachers have to do sometimes where you just like, uh, you have no right to teach what you're about to teach other than the fact that God put it in the Bible. So, um, so, so, uh, I, I struggle and walk in that. I, I think I probably work more than I sleep. Um, but if we think about some other ways that work, uh, engages, uh, our lives, um, n- not just personally, but um, as a whole, particularly as an American workforce, um, here's some stats for you. 52% of people are, are unhappy at work. That, that's more than one in two. Employees are satisfied three, three times. Uh, this is from uh, Labor, Labor, and Bureau, Labor Bureau and the statistical uh, analysis they did. When three things. Number one, their work interests them. So you actually like, like what you're doing. Number two, they enjoy their coworkers, And number three, their boss appreciates and compensates. Appreciates and compensates. One third of Americans, working Americans, do not get enough sleep. Employees spend, employers spend $300 billion per year in stress-related health care and missed work. $300 billion, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. The average American employee works 47 hours per week. 40% of those reported to this particular source described working more than 55 hours per week. 35 states pay more in welfare and government assistance than a person can make working a full-time minimum wage job. The more money a worker makes, the happier they are at work, up to $75,000 annually. After that, they get gradually unhappier at work, commensurate with making more money. The most unhappy people at work are the wealthy. In 2015, women working full-time were paid 80% of men working full-time, a gap of 20% for same work, just full-time workers. 60% of 26,000 polled middle-class workers said they would rather be working a different job. There's a 33% higher risk of stroke among employees who work 55 hours or more per week than those who work 35 to 45 hours per week. A third higher, the chances that you'll have a stroke. You know, the the idea of work and how it is that we engage it 
is, is so, so vitally important to who we are. We are talking about like the amount of time that we spend um, at work and what it is that we're doing with, with the time that, that we spend. Um, work is, is a key component of just about everything that we do, uh, whether it be at work, the job that you're actually getting paid for. But when you come home, there's work to do there as well, right? And there's all kinds of different work. There's physical work. There's emotional labor, right? There's spiritual work. There's all kinds of different work to, uh, to, to, uh, to be about. And the dichotomy that Andy drew is an important one. There is a difference between the rhythm of work and rest for which we were made and the rhythm of toil and leisure that we have invented. Right? Work and rest is something that we see God do. Toil and leisure is something that people have drifted toward. Work is the good, productive, energetic engagement in what it is that God is doing or calling you to be about. Rest is the active goodness of pulling back from that and considering the work that you've been about. Like, like Andy said, toil is bad work. Toil is that kind of work where it's sort of like this just sucks. I, I hate being here. I hate doing this. And, you know, sometimes you got to do the things that you got to do. But is your life meant to be marked by that? No. No. Toil is uh, exhausting, which then leads you to oftentimes leisure. Where rather than rest, a contemplative, purposeful pullback, it's now just a give me my time. Right? Give me my time. And, and leisure looks like for a, a, a lot of us a lot of different things, right? But I mean, uh, taking a nap in order to escape, uh, you know, Netflix <laughs> is a key way that I'm personally tempted toward leisure. Just a time to just check out and get away, you know, uh, Leisure is not just a divorce of work. It's not just a stoppage of work. It's oftentimes a stoppage of being with God. Not that you're like actively being morally inappropriate. You're just not being with God in that spot. It's a time to check out, and you're oftentimes not time, not being with others. In fact, you can be sitting or laying in bed six inches from your spouse, being with one another, and both being leisurely and completely disconnected. It's interesting. It's interesting. Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Today we're going to look at work from a uh, like creative purpose from God standpoint. So God made the world here in Genesis uh, chapter 1 which you would think would wear a person out. Uh, That's that's a lot. Uh, But this is God we're talking about, so we don't have to worry about that. right? God can do anything. He can do everything. It's not difficult. Um, God God makes the world in Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis chapter 2 calls God's creative work work. He calls God's creative work work. Which means that on some levels, because we're even having this conversation, for us, work means expending. For God, work does not mean expending. God, God, and and we can all be like, well, yeah, that's God. I get that. However, at the core, I think there's a value in place here, which is that what God works at 
and the way in which he works, not just what he works at, but the way in which he works, the manner, his mindset about work, his engagement in that is one of creativity, is one of the, 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 the work that is within him, the heart that he has is meant to come out, which is really what the Hebrew word uh, for work is about. The Hebrew word for work is avodah. And the word avodah carries with it not just the idea of toil, right? Work and toil are two very different words, two very different things. Work carries with it the idea of goodness and fulfillment. Think of the word full when you hear the word avodah. Here in Genesis 1, we see God engaging the people of God in making we see God engaging the world, the people that he makes, with his creative work and then, and then engaging them in a certain way. But he does so with a, uh, with a mind that, that how they are and how the rhythms of their are should reflect the rhythms that he is and how he works and how he rests. The word for rest in Hebrew is manuka which carries with it the idea of not just a pullback. It's not just a cessation of anything. It's actually a consideration of something. To rest doesn't mean I check out. It just means I check in in a different way. I check in in a different place. To rest from work doesn't mean that you stop the work. It means you consider the work. Considering the work requires stopping the work. You can't be considering what you're, while you're in the machine. So the Sabbath rest that we have is a pullback, not to say, finally, it's the weekend. I get to have some time to myself. It's rather what Sabbath is meant to be is a time to consider what just happened this week. Did, this, did my job just happen to me? Because I feel like that. <laughs> if you're a student, did school just happen to me? Because it probably did. All right? <laughs> Very little control in a student's life when it comes to the work that a student does because it's all being dictated to them by, by the prop appropriate authorities in their lives. So but what does it mean, though, for school to become something more than toil? That then you get to come home from school and have leisure, you know, time to do what I want to do. The difference is the mindset for what the purpose of work and rest is. God talks about work in all three chapters of the first three chapters of Genesis. Right? Uh, it's important to understand that when you read Genesis chapters 1 through 11, you are not reading a chronological story. Right? You are not reading a chronological story. You're a bunch of Americans, so you think everything should be linear. It's not. Right? Hebrew mind is circular. And so you are not reading a chronological story in Genesis 1 to 11. You are reading a poem. Right? A poem. And the favorite alliterate, I'm sorry, the favorite, uh, not alliteration, the favorite uh, way that a Hebrew poet usually makes a point is through parallels. So he or she will tell something in one way, and then they'll tell that exact same thing in another way. Have you ever noticed how things don't seem to match up in Genesis 1 and 2? Like, like where's this chronology coming from? And when does Eve exactly enter the picture anyway? Because she's talked about in Genesis 1, but she's not made till Genesis 2. What the heck's going on here? It's just the creation account from two different perspectives in two different ways. Genesis 1 is one way of thinking about how creation happened. Genesis 2 is another way of experiencing the creation story. Genesis 3, bam, it all falls apart. Right? Parallel, parallel point. 
That's what we're seeing here. And work is a major factor in all three of the chapters. So if there is an umbrella that's engaged in all three of these places, parallel, parallel, point, that means whatever that thing is that's actually overarching all three, which in this case is God, man, woman, and work, and marriage. As an aside, <laughs> that's like the big one. Uh, you know, there, this is something to pay attention to. This is something to pay attention to. So work from the perspective of Genesis 1. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? So both man and woman are required to reveal God's image. Eve was not an afterthought. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, to every cre- everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. In Genesis chapter 1, you see God calling them to a certain work, right? God is active in Genesis 1. He is creating. The people are called to be active as well. And what they are called to is ruling, to dominion. Notice that from the original get-go, from the outset of things, man and woman are called to fully have dominion, to fully lead, to be 100% engaged in ruling, Right? Male and female's internal and appropriate design on every level is to be a leader. Put that in your women shouldn't be in ministry pipe. What do you do then? At what point did God change the original design for, for women? Or are maybe we reading things wrongly? So that's a different sermon, although I can go on that one. All right. Um, Be fruitful and multiply. This is their work. Fun work. Right? Help us in the context of marriage. Be fruitful and multiply. Right? Be sexually active. Have kids. Have kids. Take who you are. Make more of them. And spread them out to have dominion over the earth. Be about the things that I'm about, which is filling. Remember, work, fullness. Fill the earth, multiply, fill, have dominion, rule. This is the beautiful work of Genesis 1 work. God in Genesis 1 creates. A creator always has authority over the creation. You want to know what an author meant by something that he or she wrote? What's the best thing to do? Ask the author. Right? Why? Because that's the source point. 
They have that internal awareness of what that is. God creates the world. God, why did you make this? God has an answer for you. Man, the human response, the human role in Genesis 1 is to rule. It's to rule. Both of these activities together, God and humans together, what does that create? That creates dominion. So the the principle of dominion is inherent both in the work of God in that he has worked and that he has created and he has authority over that creation. Humans receive that authority from him and are called to rule. And together, that is dominion. When you and I operate in dominion, when Adam and Eve operated in dominion, they were partnering with God in his dominion rule. God is overjoyed to invite his children into his work and to vest them with his authority to be about the things that he is about in this world. Chapter 2. Again, chapter 2 is an extension of the same story. It's told a different way. And in Genesis 2, we see God say this about work. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall, you may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it. You shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man, gave, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to the beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. When he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Verse 15, very clearly. We oftentimes, I think, just think about Adam in the garden, naked, running around, frolicking. Like, that's Eden. Eden's nudity and leisure. And, and, and what, what, what kept Adam, like what gave Adam purpose? Well, God gave Adam purpose, of course. However, it only looks like God showed up in the evening. It looks like God came down, this is what we see in Genesis 3, like in the cool of the evening, they would go for walks together. What was Adam doing in the morning and the afternoon? He was frolicking naked in the garden. What else was there to do, right? It was everything was perfect. Everything was fine. Uh, you know, snakes talked, and, and there was fruit on trees, and he just sort of danced around and, and, and waited for God to show up in the evening so they could talk together. And of course he was full. Eh, such a load of baloney. This dude worked. He had a job. Verse 15. Why was Adam put in the garden? What, what, what did God give? He, he was the, put there to work. My grandfather has told me hundreds of times, hundreds of times, work is good because it was made before the fall. So anytime you complain about having work to do, you're sinning. Like he would just jump right to that conclusion. You know, just straight judgment. <laughs> the, the, I, the idea of work for us has become work is a roadblock to what it is that I really want to do. And, and like Andy said, I know a lot of us in this room do, do not actually have control over uh, like the schedule that we work or, or the need that we work. However, 
the mindset and the spiritual perspective that we bring to that work, we have full control over. Students, the mindset that you go to school with in the morning, you have complete control over. Right? It's Parenting 101. Do you want to enjoy this experience? Then enjoy it. You don't want to enjoy this experience? Don't enjoy it. Why do you have a bad attitude about this? I have to have a bad attitude about this. No, you don't. You could choose to have a good attitude if you'd like to, but you're telling me to take out the trash and clean my room. Yeah, but how you do that is completely up to you. It's the same as we were with when we were kids. It doesn't matter if we're, if we're five years old or if we're 100 years old. You have absolute 100% dominion over yourself, which means you have 100% dominion over your world. Life can either happen to you or you can choose to walk in dominion. And, and that's a, not an easy thing. I, I know that. What I just said is not an easy thing. Life happens to me all the time. And, and I find myself spinning and whirling and tired and exhausted. And, and what, what's going on? And Sherry just says to me, like, you know you did this. Like, you picked this. You didn't have to meet with that number of clients this week. You, 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 didn't, you didn't have to think about it like this. That situation that you had to do, that work that you had to get done, you could have done with a different mindset, a different, a different thing in mind and how it is that you approached it. God put Adam in the garden to work it, to tend it. That's verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And furthermore, Adam gets to work and keep it by joining with God and extending God's co-creation. So God has put within Adam a gift. And that gift is to see the essence of something and then to give it a name. You and I know animals because we've seen other animals. Your kids know what a bear looks like because they saw a picture of a bear somewhere. And what a fish looks like because they saw we, we do comparative naming. Not Adam. He had nothing to draw from. He could look at a fish or look at a bear or look at an animal and just look at it and go, oh, bear. Like he could, he could name its essence. He had a gift. He had a, he had a specific way in which he works. So do we. We'll get to that. When it comes to Genesis chapter 2, we just skipped a significant part, though. So God, in chapter 1, creates. He calls humans to rule, and they both together have dominion. In Genesis chapter 2, what is God's role? The first thing that we see in Genesis 2. What's God doing? What's that? No, not yet. He's resting. The first thing we see in Genesis 2 is rest. We see God rest in Genesis 2. Is God resting because he's worn out? Nope. God doesn't get worn out. Nothing tires him. Look back at verse 1. Thus the heaven and the earth were finished and all the host of them. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's that idea of consideration. It's the idea of a step back and there's an enjoyment of what it is that has just happened. When I was a kid, I guess I told you about my granddad. I'll probably tell you a lot of stories about him because I worked with him a lot growing up. Uh, He was a carpenter. And so I learned to work with wood from him. And so I, I met my wife, and uh, well, we, we got engaged. It didn't happen that quick. Um, 
we, uh, we got engaged, and I decided that I wanted to give my wife a present for our wedding, right? And so uh, I decided that I was going to make her a hope chest. Right? Do you know what a hope chest is? It's a chest where you put your hopes, apparently, which just sounds abysmally depressive. Like, you just take all your hope and store it away in the basement in this box. Uh, you know, but I guess it's a place to put, like, stuff. Um, anyway, my granddad did this for, uh, for, for his daughters and his grandkids, uh, that kind of thing. I decided I wanted to make one for, for, for my wife. And uh, so I found this. Um, I was talking to a carpenter friend of mine. He had overbought for a job and had this beautiful hickory, um, which I'd never worked with before. Um, so I bought some hickory off of him, and I made this, uh, I, I made this uh, hope chest. I put a lot of work into this thing. I bet it took me 40 hours, uh, all, all in all, of, of getting everything just right, you know. And uh, I'd never gotten real good with a dado blade before, so he helped me with that and figuring out. Made my own trim, did the whole nine yards. So it's sitting there, and it's done. And, and the guy that I bought the wood from, he told me, he was like, when you stain this, like, you're just going to blow your mind. If you've ever seen a piece of plywood before, it's a piece of wood, you know. Unfinished wood looks sort of all the same. It's got grain. And, and it's nice. However, not all wood is the same. And I figured out that hickory was one of those ones. There was this, I, I, I didn't stain it with a, a color. I just used a, a really clear, beautiful varnish, right? And this particular piece that I had chosen to cut for the top had these dark, dark black knots and grain sort of running through it uh, intermittently, not symmetrical at all. Really interesting piece. And I hit that with that varnish, with that clear, and it made the wood just, I mean, he was right. It was, it's, it's the most beautiful piece of wood I've ever worked with. No, no question, hands down. And I got done with that thing. I put seven coats of, uh, of protectant on it and sealant on it. I stepped back from that. You know, it's been 20 years, and I can still go into the basement and look at that hope chest and go, man, that's good work. That is good work. You know, go look at it. Go look at those corners. They're perfect. They're perfect. I mean, it's, 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 an, it's a nice piece. That's, that's good work. I'll go down. That, that's where, uh, you know, the basement, that's where uh, um, uh, we go down there for whatnot, uh, work out down there, uh, uh, TV down there, computer down there. Anytime I go down there, the hope chest is there. And it's sitting there. I look at it. That, that's good work. And there is nothing prideful about what I'm doing. It is. It is. God gave me good skill. He gave me a good teacher. gave me good wood. Put that sucker together. And man, if it doesn't pop, thank you, Lord. That's fantastic. Rest. I mean, it takes me back to this other spot when I was a kid. It takes me back to my granddad and all the fun we had in his shop. I can smell a knot being cut right now. You know? Like, there's just nothing like it. It's, it's this thing. That, that's rest. Wouldn't it be great to end every day? Like, man. Could it pop? Could it pop? But man, some days just stink, right? <laughs> some days it's like, really? I got to do this all day? Especially if that's work for you. Every day is woke, waking up in the morning going, man, I got to do this all day? That's tough. 52% of Americans say that, apparently. But w- what if the work stays the same and, and we change? I just wonder if that's an option. If we can, like God, be working 
and take the time to enjoy. I think the problem is, is that we never, ever, especially as driven Americans, stop to consider what it is that we've done. Toil and leisure doesn't allow for that kind of satisfaction. Toil and leisure says, just put the work away and let me do the stuff that I want to do. I wish I could get paid for watching Netflix. <laughs> right? And now we've found ourselves completely outside of our natural design, which is to work, to tend, to have dominion, to rule. In Genesis 2, we see God resting. We see humans working, which means there's partnership. Wouldn't it be great to go to work every day and to know you're partnering with God that day? Who's your partner in business? God. <laughs> well, so much for needing investors. You know, you've got God on your side. Right. That's, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Chapter one is the principle of dominion. God is creating. We are ruling. There is dominion. Genesis two is the principle of partnership. God is resting and considering the work that he's done. What, it, what does Adam do? That does the exact same thing. He works. And God comes down in the cool of the evening, and they walk together, and they consider the, re- the work that's done. It's partnership. They're together in this. Genesis 3. Look what sin can do to work. So Adam and Eve fall. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put hatred between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Notice God curses the snake, not the woman. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So there's a twisting of the first principle. Right? The curse twists the first principle of ruling. So now where the relationship, and not just any relationship, not just the man-woman, the husband-wife relationship, but in childbirth, you will have pain. That's sort of like, gee, thanks for that, God. We, we know that, <laughs> right? Uh, it's more. It's that by life, by humans being in the world, there is pain. How does every human get in the world? Through, not through a dude. Right? Through a woman. I don't know. I, I mean, relational work is every bit as taxing, if not more so, than physical work. Right? And so the, the, the work of relationships is something that weighs heavily, heavily on the feminine distinctive. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because if you notice, God curses the ground, not Adam. Uh, In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And in Genesis chapter 3, here we see two different kinds of work, relational work and physical work, and both move from being work to becoming toil to where what should be enjoyable to you, relationships, are now going to be difficult and hard. What should be enjoyable to you, making your mark on the world, having effect out there, changing things, that's going to be hard. You're going to work and work, and it's going to be difficult, and you're going to get nothing from the ground with stuff that wants to hurt you. And then, in your quest to make something of yourself, you're going to die. 
and the very thing you came from, you'll go back to. How's that for emptiness? But is that not a common sentiment about work today? That the work that I do, I feel like it's not amounting to anything. Or I feel like I'm just working at it and working at it, and it's not, like, I, I, it's pushing, actually pushing back against me. We moved over to Summit Street about a year and a half ago. And I don't know what it is about me and ground in this place, but our flower beds breed thistles like rabbits. You know, it's, it's incredible. I've never seen anything like it. It, it. Tim and Joy formerly lived there. I never noticed that when they lived there. When I moved in, this thing started, and I think the Lord has given me a prophetic picture for what it looks like when I disorder my work. I'll come home. We have this nice little bed right out front that you got to drive by to pull into the driveway. And dang it, if there aren't thistles there the day after we pull them out. I mean, ask my kids. They've all been out there with me on multiple times with these stinking thistles. And I'm trying to figure out. I've done everything I can to figure out these thistles. I bless the ground. Folks, I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you. I one time took a half a gallon of olive oil out and anointed the flower bed out front and condemned these thistles and saying, you are not going to fight against me anymore in Jesus' name. You know what happened the next day? There were thistles there. There were those little green sprouts sticking out of the friggin' mulch. And I'm getting ticked while I'm talking to you right now at the fact, <laughs> at the f- fact that I can't beat these thistles. I've done everything. I have used undiluted Roundup. Undiluted Roundup. And sprayed it three days in a row with undiluted Roundup. And then pulled those suckers because they did die. And two days later, there were sprouts. If, if I, I, I don't know what the lesson is that I'm missing. Maybe I'll figure it out as I teach this series. Uh, however, something is going on. The ground is working against me. And I think that's how a lot of us feel. If we're pushing a boulder uphill. If you do a Google search, a Google image search for work. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped over my principles. Genesis 3. There's a curse. Genesis 3. The human activity in Genesis 3 is disobedience. And what's the result? Toil. What have we been talking about up to this point in Genesis 1 and 2? Work. What happens because of the curse? Toil. Bad work. Dominion and partnership are not part of toil. Which means, if we are going to be people who redeem work for ourselves, it's going to have something very important to do with re-injecting dominion and partnership with God back into our workspaces or back into our schools. Everybody get that? If work, when, when work feels like toil, that means either dominion and partnership or, or one has probably gone missing. And God has a creative way for us to re-bring those things back into our work or school environment. If you do a Google image search, for work, this is the screenshot of what you see. It's nice. You know, I mean, there's a clock over here, guy getting some stuff done. It says work in boggle letters, apparently. Uh, this guy's headed off. He's so excited to get to work. You know, uh, this person's just taking a little break from the work. Uh, you know, it's a balanced life and work. Yeah, everybody wants that. Do a Google image search for toil. The screen gets dark. Right? And there's grays and blacks. This guy's pushing a boulder uphill. Exactly the phrase I just used. 
you know, and over here, I don't know if you can see this. This is a man with like 40 Nazis pointing guns at his throat. I have no idea. All I did was search for toil. Like you can see it. It's one word, toil, up there. Image search. And here's a dude with 40 Nazis pointing guns at his throat. How did that picture end up on the word toil? It's toil and trouble. Toil, you know. Oh, look at this guy in his perspective toward work. I don't want that. I hate work. Look at this. Like, this is a hoe on this rocky ground, not doing anything good. Man, I mean, just the power of images to express the difference between work and toil. Work is something that is so beautifully partnered with with God. And toil is something that we have made for ourselves. And God is inviting us and calling us back to live in the original dimension of who he is. One other thing about that word, avoda. Joy, you can bring your team back up, please. Um, about that Hebrew word, avoda, for work. The word avoda is also used for worship. Interesting. The word avoda is also used for worship. A lot of us, and I hear this a lot over years in pastoral ministry, which is that I love coming to church on Sunday because I get refueled to go back out and work. And I get that. Don't hear me judge that at all. I, I get that. It's a, it's a great experience. However, I wonder if God doesn't have something more for each of us when we step back out into our work week or that work week, if we join him in his rhythms, that that in itself can also be refueling to us. And sometimes there's work that you do that you don't like to do, and you do it because you're a responsible adult, and you get stuff done that you have to get done. Great. Other times, though, there are times when God is inviting us to something grand and wonderful that we miss just because we think of it as toil instead of work. And I think God is inviting us to think about work and rest in a different way and to think about the work that we do. Like We're talking to folks about most of your week that you're awake that's the engagement of the next few months. Right? So, so this is something really worth diving into and really worth thinking about, uber practical, about how can I transform the way that I approach work and rest? To what degree has toil and leisure taken root in my life? And what might the Lord be saying to me about moving back to my original design of work and rest? Work and rest. Moving in the rhythms of God. Moving at pace with God. And seeing a restoration of the dominion and partnership in work for which we were made. Folks, listen closely. That, that dominion and partnership, the Bible has a word for that when you put it all together. And it's called freedom. Freedom. When you are moving in dominion, and when you are strongly partnering with God, you are free, truly free. Toil and leisure is enslavement. Work and rest is freedom. That's why Jesus died on the cross. We're about to step into our time of communion. And as we do so, we do so with that perspective that what God is actually opening the door up for us, not just today, but as we continue through this series, is to consider not just work and rest, but the overarching umbrella principle of freedom. 
What does it mean for me to be free? If you're a student, yes, you have to go to school. But you're free. You're free. If you're an adult, you gotta you got to provide for yourself and those that you love. But you're free. You're not slaves to those things. Toil and leisure, though, that's a slavery. Work and rest, that's freedom. Jesus has come, and the cross exists, that we might be truly free. Jesus did all that work, that we might have all this rest. And it's that that we remember as we take of the bread and the cup together. So it's right back here. We sing while we take communion. We invite you to partake with us if you're a follower of Jesus. And um, you can just get up at any point during the next two songs that we sing and move to that station back there, just sort of gather around it. And um, uh, Jeff and Sarah will be serving us today. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you completed for us. We remember you and remember your life and goodness that you have given to us in Christ. Lead us, God, in dominion and partnership with you as your people, returning to that for which we were made and experiencing fullness in you. In Jesus' name, amen.